scripture reading this morning is from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 63, verses 7 to 9. So I invite your reverent and also joyful attention to the public reading of God's Word as we find it in Isaiah chapter 63. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel, that He has granted them according to His compassion, according to the abundance of His steadfast love. For He said, Surely they are My people, children who will not deal falsely. And He became their Savior. In all their affliction, He was afflicted. And the angel of His presence saved them. In His love and in His pity, He redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Praise God for His Word to us. My subject this morning is affliction, taken from verse 9 in Isaiah 63. In all their affliction, He was afflicted. As believers, what are we to make of suffering? Um, we shouldn't, of course, be surprised by encountering various sorts of suffering and trials and trouble. Psalm 34, for instance, in verse 19, encourages us that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And the Apostle Paul, you remember, early on in his uh, evangelistic ministry went out and he encouraged the newly formed churches that we through many tribulations enter into the kingdom of God. Acts 14.22 Today it seems that I'm, I'm seeing much more of a kind of a genie in the bottle type of Jesus being embraced. That is that He's a fix-all, a cure-all, and whenever you need to just you call on Him to make your life a little bit better in any area that you rub the bottle, the genie appears, and bingo, you have uh, what you need. But really, is that honest? If we, in our evangelism, are teaching the new converts that to trust in Christ is the easy way through life? I mean, we who have been in the faith for a little bit of time know it to be otherwise. Jesus as the smooth way, Jesus as the no problem, no trouble way through life. In reality, we dishonor the faithful martyrs of the past when we preach Jesus as the smooth road. Just listen as I read in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 35. While God wrought a great deliverance in many of these saints of old, listen to this. It says that some were tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Speak to those of the ease of following Christ. You know, imagine what it would do to some of the health and wealth congregations today 
if they spoke to those of the what's in it for me crowd of a Jesus whom if they embrace, they will be a counter to the culture and they will multiply their trouble in this life ten times over. What would that do to their congregations? I would imagine if they were used to hearing that and the preacher said that, they would probably ask for his resignation um, and probably in short order. But we're not under any delusion uh, of a life without pain or suffering. Uh, the hymn that we sung, All the Way My Savior Leads Me, is a good example of that. The prayer that Kurt read, a uh, Puritan, of uh, being purified in the furnace of affliction. The reality is pain and suffering is just as much a part of the life of a Christian as the ease that it brings and the peace of mind that it brings to know that we have settled our account with God through Jesus Christ. They go together. It's not one or the other, it's both. And it's meant to leave its mark on us. Pain and suffering is meant to leave a scar on us. Charles Spurgeon on the wall of his bedroom had a plaque with a quote from Isaiah 48.10 on it. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. It's no small thing to be chosen by God, he wrote. God's choice makes cho chosen men into choice men. We are chosen not in the palace, but in the furnace. In the furnace, our beauty is marred, our fashion is destroyed, our strength is melted, our glory is consumed. And yet, here, eternal love reveals its secrets and declares its choice. God often puts us into tight places. The word affliction there in Isaiah chapter 63 comes from a root word that means a very narrow and a very tight place a place in which you would find yourself that you would rather get out of, <laughs> a place that you are straightened, you, you know you've got to go through, but you don't want to go through that way. It's one of those uneasy moments. It's one of those, God, please get me out of this moments. That's what the word means. And yet the trial itself is not the goal. The burden of the trial is not the goal, but it's the benefit of the trial and affliction that's the goal. Romans 8.28 reminds us that God works all things together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Everything, you, we're not again being honest in our own thinking or in our evangelism to others if we act like suffering, like we like suffering, like, ooh, I'm so happy that I heard that bad news from my job. Oh, I'm so happy that, that uh, you know, that this pain and this suffering has come my way. That's not the way the Bible presents it. The Bible presents pain as pain and suffering as suffering and difficulty as difficulty. You read through the Psalms and you see that David cry out, would cry out to God, Oh God, I'm suffering under your great hand. When, when will you relieve me from this suffering? So the pain and suffering and trials are real. We don't act as if they just bounce off of us. But the trial is not the goal, but the benefit that comes from our great God as He works all things together for our good. That's the goal. And so this morning I want to offer three areas of encouragement to you when you are suffering. Not if you're suffering, but when. That is, first of all, God shares in our affliction. Secondly, grace lightens our affliction. And then third, growth results from our affliction. First of all, God shares in our affliction. It says in Isaiah 63 verse 9, in all their affliction, He was afflicted. It's a very tender phrase. God is so close to His beloved people 
that whatever they're suffering, he feels that affliction as if it were his own. When you deeply love someone, you enter into their sufferings, their joys and their sufferings. You relate to them, and when they are hurting, you're hurting. God technically can't be afflicted as we can, and yet the Bible is clear that He does enter into our sufferings. Look in Hebrews with me to chapter 4. It speaks of our high priest, the Lord Jesus, and it uses words that are very tender. Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 15. And you might have asked the question or had others ask you the question, well, if God is God and He's infinite and He's immortal and eternal, then He can't begin to really know what I'm going through. I mean, isn't my suffering just my own? Well, verse 14 of Hebrews 4 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. And so our great high priest sympathizes with us, and he certainly, being man, having become man, knows all of the difficulties of humanity. He knows what it is to be hungry and thirsty. He knows what it is to suffer disappointment, and he knows what it is to feel pain. And, and to the greater degree than we could ever know, suffering in the realm of the spiritual for our sins when, when the Father turned his face away from him and he paid for our sins the suffering that He bore. He looks on us with a sympathetic eye, and He knows what we're going through, and He enters into it with us. Not only does He sympathize with us, but He identifies with us. Remember, Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus, who was persecuting Christians, He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting who? Me. He didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? But He said, why are you persecuting me? Because of the fact that he identifies with us, the head of the body knows when any member of the body is suffering or hurting. Listen to Exodus 3, 7. The Lord said of old to his people, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sorrows. He saw it, he heard it, and he knew it as if it were his own. That's how closely the Lord relates to the suffering of His people. So not only does He sympathize with us, and not only does He identify with us, but He has pity on us. Come back to Isaiah as we look at the text for just a moment. The last part of verse 9 is such a tender verse. I mean, just think of the tenderness and compassion in these words. The angel of His presence saved them. In His love and in His pity... He redeemed them, and He lifted them and carried them all the days of old. It wasn't that long ago I was watching the news and I saw some of these Syrian refugees that had been pushed out of their homeland under the, the heavy hand of terrorism. And, you know, you, you see those women mostly and children. They've kept captured and killed most of the men. And in fact, most of the young women they've captured as well. But you see these women with, with small children, or these elderly women, and just a handful uh, of men, and, and, and they're just 
They're struggling to find their way, and they've gone through tremendous suffering. And, and you see that they traveled tremendous distances in some cases without much food and without much water, and with almost no assistance in many cases. And what struck me there, along with the just the deep sadness I felt, and, and the compassion I felt for them, and I lifted up a prayer to God for them, as I know you do. But I saw that some of them just couldn't make it. Some of them, there was no way that they were going to make it. But others would come along, and they would lift them up, and they would carry them. And that's what I saw. You know, somebody that's just almost lifelessly limp, but a couple of other people would carry them along. And that's the picture here in Isaiah, that as God's people, they're, they're not just capable. God does not call the capable and the strong and the able. God calls people like you and like me that don't have much strength and that find ourselves in the furnace of affliction and we're, and we're in such a strait that we cry out to God and we feel like we're going to just fall and never be able to get up. It's those type of people that God picks up and He carries along with compassion. If you look back on your life and you say, my journey has been one of success, then you would be right, I think, in the, in the big sense, but you must also be sure that that success is directed to the one who picked you up and carried you all the way. So He has pity on us. He knows that we don't have strength on our own. He puts us into a place that tries our strength. Do you not think that your Creator knows how far to push before you throw your hands up in the air? Lord, I'll handle this one. If you give me that, I'll handle that. Now, we may get to a place, Lord, that I can't handle it, and when that happens, I'll call you. No, God's going to put you into a place where you come to an end of yourself and praise God. It's at that time that He's glorified because He says, now I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to carry you and you're going to see my mercy for you. Psalm 103 verses 13 and 14 says, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. For He knows our frame and He remembers that we are dust. You know, sometimes human pride can be an affliction that blinds us from seeing God's grace in our life. We are self-sufficient. We are self-motivated. We, we think we are in need of nothing. And so praise God for those times when He brings it clearly to our view that we don't have strength, we don't have power, we're not capable, and in, He remembers that we're just dust and He has compassion on us. So He shares in our affliction in those senses. But a second encouragement I want to give to you this morning is not only does He share in our afflictions, but grace itself from God lightens our afflictions. Matthew Henry in his commentary says an alternate reading of the first part of verse 9 there would be, in all their affliction they were not afflicted. And the idea there is that God gives such overcoming mercies within the trials that we face that the trials themselves become more of a medicine than they do an affliction that we're seeing them in the right perspective so that we can give God the glory for bringing us through the trial and we see His great mercy that He applies and grace and power that He gives. And so we're seeing the trial not as the trial itself, but as the medicine that heals, as the movement that gets us from where we are now to where God wants us to be. Never think that God is opposing you, believer. 
Never have the wrong idea that God is opposing you, that He's your adversary, because that's what Matthew Henry was saying. He was saying in all their affliction, God was not their adversary, but on the opposite side of that, in all their affliction, God was their healer. God was their physician. God was their compassionate Father. And so in all of their affliction, it was like they were not being afflicted, but when they saw it properly, it was like they were being healed. You see, we've already got the disease, that's sin, in a sinful world. We've already got the problems. We need the physician. We need the healing. And so when God brings trials, and it's not because He's opposing you, it's because He is for you and fighting for you as your great champion. In light of God's sustaining mercies, every day the severest blow can become tolerable. The deepest wounds are made to feel the heel of the Master's touch. In 2 Corinthians, there's a word of encouragement for us in chapter 4. I want you to look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and um, beginning in verse 16. Paul had a lot of reason for discouragement. We talked about a little bit of that in the first hour, but well, how did he approach the great sufferings that he had? And he had tremendous physical trials as long as the mental anguish uh, of the ministry and responsibility that was laid upon him. Notice what he says in verse 16, though. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. How can he have that perspective? How can the outer man be under such severe trial and pressure and deterioration, and yet he says, we're not losing heart because our inner man is being renewed day by day. Here's the perspective, verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's the perspective. That's seeing beyond the burden of the trial to the purpose and goal of the trial. In light of God's grace, we don't lose heart. Grace enables us to view our afflictions, as he said, as light and momentary. You know, when you're in the middle of it, though, it doesn't feel like that. You know, again, just being transparent with you, when God puts pressure on you, you're going to feel pressure because that's what it's for. So we don't deny that. And I've been in the pressure situations before and it doesn't feel like it's it's light and it doesn't feel like it's momentary. It feels heavy and hard and it feels like it's going to go on forever. But the perspective is, in light of eternity, the eternal weight of glory, the great outcome of the sufferings of this life, the goal of a good, good father in bringing the child to my life is so weighty and so worth it that then I can see whatever it is I'm going through as light and momentary. It's not going to last forever. And even if it feels like it is, eternity will show that day after day after day in the presence of my Redeemer will be so much greater and overshadow any suffering that I might have gone through here. Not only does grace enable us to view our afflictions that way, but we find peace when we embrace our trials as our friends and not our enemies. I mean, isn't that the Christian perspective? Can we not 
change our thinking to agree with God's Word, and when suffering comes along, instead of fighting against it, clawing and scratching, we can embrace it. Trial, come on. I embrace you as the will of God for my life. And the purpose of God is being carried out in me. It's hard to get there, but it's great when you get, when you get there. I'm not saying that I'm there. <laughs> I'll be like Paul in this case. I have not yet arrived, but I press forward. I know it's the right way to look at life. And we have joy too when we see the genuineness of our faith. Look in, in uh, James chapter one. Here is a perspective that only uh, a, a renewed mind can have. I mean, it almost seems illogical and, and crazy to the, to the unregenerate. First chapter of James, verse one and, or two and three, and then verse 12. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now down to verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And that would be a crazy statement to, to hear for most of the world, that we count it all joy. They seem, not, Christians, they, they say, well, you're just delusional. If you can count it joy when you fall into various types of trials, well, not if you see the fact that God is building within us a character of Christ, that He is using the trials to, to bring to the surface as the, as the furnace brings to the surface the impurities of the metal so that they can be scraped away and only the purer metal remains. God is using the furnace of affliction in our lives in that way to grow us and to change us, to mold and shape us into His image. And we can say in that case, it is joy when we encounter various sorts of trials because it's causing me to persevere by the grace of God. And verse 12 said, blessed or, or happy and fulfilled is the man who does persevere under trial. The man, woman, boy, or girl who has that perspective and they persevere under trial is proving to themselves the genuineness of their faith. We don't have to prove the genuineness of our faith to God. Again, this is not teaching us that, that God's going to send us a test. If we pass the test, we have approval with God. If we don't pass the test, we don't have approval. That's not the Christian gospel at all. Listen, one test or a thousand tests that you and I pass would not gain us favor with God. Christ Himself has fulfilled the law's demands in our behalf, and because He is accepted by God, He has favor with God. All who are in Him have favor with God. Therefore, by faith, we've been justified, and we have peace with God. So that comes through Christ. But who is proving the genuineness of our faith? We're proving it to ourselves, that God's power is at work in me. Oh, this was a tough one, but... But somehow I was able to stand up because God raised me up. We, we can see the beauty and the benefit of the trial because God's grace and compassion were with me. God's power sustained me. God's angels protected me. And, and I can see the benefit and I can have joy because of it. And it proves the genuineness of my faith. Again, because God has given it and what he begins, he finishes. You know, as, 
as we look at life and and we want things to go well, I mean, I I don't go around and and ask God for suffering. I don't, do you? And I don't say, God, I want to suffer, and, and please, you know, today bring me persecution or suffering or trials. But what we say is, God, you have purposed my life from all of eternity. Whatever your good will disposes to me today, I'll receive it as my friend and not as my enemy. I will, I will settle myself to the fact that this is a part of how you mold and shape me and prepare me for an eternity with you. And it's, I'll take it as an evidence of your love in my life. Not an evidence of your opposition, but an evidence that the father who loves the children disciplines the children or else he would not be our father. Ultimately, we'll be crowned, says verse number 12, with eternal life, crown of life, and that's to the glory of God. So we're never alone in our suffering. The Savior is at our side. So grace lightens our afflictions. I think that's what Matthew Henry was getting at. In all our affliction, we're really not, in the Christian sense, afflicted as others would be. And but by the way, although we don't have the time to look at it, that beautiful section in Isaiah verses 7 to 9 is sandwiched in between two bookends of God's judgment. His judgment on the Gentile nations had come before in the verses before, and His judgment upon the rebellious people comes after. And so right in the middle of all of God declaring that He is a just God who will no, by no means clear the guilty, He's got verses 7 to 9 where He shows His compassion and His love and His care over His people. But last of all, I want to encourage you by reminding you that growth results from our afflictions. This is the last uh, scripture in Philippians 1.29. Growth results. Now, I've already alluded to it, but as God's children, we need to grow. We need to change. We need to mature. And like it or not, we grow more in the times of suffering and affliction than in any other situation. We're slow to respond. I'm slow to respond. I'm slow to obey the Spirit's promptings. I'm slow to make the changes that I find in His Word when it clashes against the, my want-tos, the will of God, and I see it and I don't do it. We're slow to respond. And so God in His love and great mercy bring, turns up the heat, the furnace of affliction, and we begin to move because God would see us grow in Christ. Philippians 1 and uh, 29. It says here, For to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. That word granted there comes from the Greek word that means grace, a gift of grace. For to you it is a gift of grace in Christ, to believe in Him. No problem. But he says to you, just like it's a gift of God's grace that you believe in Him, it's also equally a gift of God's grace that you suffer for His sake. There's the perspective. To see it as a gift of God's grace to suffer for His sake. Again, moving us toward godliness is generally done through the most difficult times of life. 
I don't know if it's just a part of the fall or if it's just a human weakness in general, but we do, <laughs> we go to a lot of trouble and expense and time and mental energy to try to avoid pain and suffering. We spoke in the first hour about some of the philosophers that met Paul in Athens, and some of them, the Stoics in particular, felt like their, their great achievement of becoming one with the universe was to be indifferent to pain and suffering. Listen, you know, we're going to be studying that in the first hour, and we'll bring a little bit of that out as, as God wills it. But, you know, the, the fact is that those people had to go to bed at night and be honest with themselves. You can embrace a philosophy that says, I'm one with the universe and I'm indifferent to pain and suffering. But listen, is the creator of that stoic philosopher and those that embrace those philosophies even today not able to turn the heat up on those people to the point where they feel the pain and they feel the suffering and they say, well, hey, this indifference is not working for me anymore? Of course. So that affords us an avenue with those type of people and even with ourselves when we when we feel that, that we might be able to uh, open up the gospel to their lives and remind ourselves. William Carey in um, 1793 began his ministry in India, and he worked there for 40 continuous years. He never went once went back to his native England. He was a linguist, and he was gifted in that way, and he translated during the first 20 years of his ministry there um, the gospel into about a dozen or more Indian languages. And around 20 years into the ministry, hard labor, translating at that time, a fire broke out in his printing uh, warehouse and destroyed all of his printing equipment, destroyed most of his manuscripts that he had labored over. All of that was lost. And that was during the days when there was no computer backups and no server to store information on. It was just lost. So how would he respond? Well, he writes after all of that to a friend of his back in England, pastor friend Andrew Fuller, and he says this after that crushing devastation and all that labor lost. Here's what he wrote. He said, the ground must be labored over again, but we're not discouraged. We've all been supported under this affliction, and we've been preserved from discouragement. To me, the consideration of the divine sovereignty and wisdom has been very supporting. I endeavored to improve this, our affliction, on the last Lord's Day from Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. And he said, I principally dwelt upon these two ideas. He preached a sermon and he encouraged himself and his followers. Here's the two ideas. First, God has a sovereign right to dispose of us as He pleases. And second, we ought to acquiesce in all that God does with us and to us. He was solaced in that thought. He was not devastated. He was not discouraged because He understood that in all His affliction, it's like no affliction because He understood the purpose of it and God's sovereign hand in it. He saw it as a grace gift from God to suffer in various sorts. Growth is painful, isn't it? But we're reminded that to bear the image of the Savior means to bear Him in His suffering and ultimately to bear that image in glory. That's the pattern our Savior has set for us, suffering and glory. We want to skip over the suffering and go to the glory. 
And yes, we've been promised eternal life through Christ our Lord. And yet, we're not going to skip the schooling of the fires of affliction. We sang that hymn, Roger led us to all the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here on earth by faith to dwell. For I know whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. Fanny Crosby knew a little bit about suffering. She was blind almost immediately after she was born. And she went through life suffering many of those trials that that would bring. And yet she wrote over 8,000 hymns and poems that have been precious to Christians, including All the Way My Savior Leads Me. In her perspective in that hymn, and it's worth reading again when you have some time, is that though God has brought me into this great suffering of blindness and other trials, I can see what many people with eyesight can't see, and that is the benefit of the Father's love and discipline and molding and shaping of my life. And she embraced it, and she had peace, and she was not discouraged. God shares our afflictions. Grace lightens our afflictions, and growth results from our afflictions. And so like Paul, don't lose heart when you're suffering. And it may be right now. It may be challenges that have pressed upon you to the point you feel like you're going to break. I might say to you that all of those things which God disposes to you, He does with purpose and love and goal in mind. And there will be a day when you pass through the trial and you look back and you say, if He had not, you fill in the blank, then I would not be here. Had God not done this, this would not be true of me and will glorify God. And then ultimately in eternity, in a new body and a glorified soul. We'll sing that hymn of Fanny Crosby's and many more that Jesus led me all the way. And may God be praised for that.